0: Good morning, church. I don't know about you, but it is just so good to belt out God's praises with you this morning. Uh, And it's just as good to quiet ourselves and to love and worship God through the preaching of His Word. So I hope that you were here for the month of January, or that you at least caught up by watching or listening on either YouTube or Spotify, as David took us line by line and word by word through the first half of Ephesians 6. So I was talking to my folks a couple of weeks ago about how easy it is to read a passage of Scripture and think that we probably have a fairly good understanding of it, and so we just move on and keep reading, right? But when we pause to really dig in and study it through a narrow and focused lens, we realize that there's so much more there than we really knew, just reading it quickly and moving on, right? But it's equally important that we look at Scripture with a wider lens. Making sure that we're using both a narrow and a wide lens helps us to understand and then apply what we're learning so that we can live consistent lives. And that's critically important because we don't just want to grow in our knowledge of what the Scriptures say. That's important. But we want to truly understand how God's word is meant to affect and transform the entirety of our lives. So this morning, we're going to look at these relationships that Paul has been talking about through a wider lens so that we can see how this all hangs together. So if you've been with us through our study of Paul's letter to the Ephesians, you hopefully remember that it's divided into two main parts. The first half is all about belief and doctrine The second half is all about our behavior, both as individuals and as a church. Belief and behavior. You will never find one without the other. Everyone lives according to what they believe. But here's the thing. To one degree or another, every single one of us in this room lives inconsistently. I mean, certainly we should all want to try to eliminate inconsistency. In our lives as much as possible. But no matter who you are, it's there somewhere to some degree. Let me give you a fairly innocuous example. So, someone could profess an undying conviction that airplanes are the safest way to travel on the planet, but they refuse to fly because they're utterly terrified, right? The math ain't mathing, right? Something is not adding up. When we do not behave, according to what we say we believe. That's the issue right here. The issue is not with our behavior. It's right where we're we're not rooted solidly in truth. And that is why it's absolutely critical that we stay grounded here at Four Mile Church in sound biblical doctrine. It is indispensable for anyone who wants to live a truly abundant life in Christ. And it's also so very important for us to understand That spirit-filled living, which is what Paul has been teaching us all about in the latter half of chapter 5 and into chapter 6, it will never happen by accident, and it's not a given. So just because you may profess faith in Christ, it doesn't necessarily mean that you are daily filled with his spirit. We've talked about how we can grieve the Holy Spirit when we hold on to unrepentant sin, We've talked about how we can quench the Holy Spirit when we reject or ignore his guidance. But it is our prayer that every single one of us will want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And Paul tells us in no uncertain terms what we must do for that to happen. First, we take every opportunity every day to praise God for who he is and for all that he has done. And we do so more and more as we progress down that path toward holiness. Second, we give thanks in all things, like we just sang, on the mountaintops and in the valleys, because God's word tells us that he is working all things together for his glory and our good, the good for those who love him. So those two things, praising and giving thanks, those are, they're fairly easy to understand. Now to be sure, we don't always do them but it's probably beca- not because we don't understand them. But this third one, that's where things get especially challenging. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's really not hard for us to imagine that one immediately causing Paul's readers to kind of straighten up and listen a little bit more closely. Because they're likely, likely thinking, "Not wait a second, come, come again? What, what did you just say? right? Because that's exactly what we do. We're not all that different from them, not at all. I mean, after all, I own my own company. I'm in charge. Or you have no idea how crazy my parents are. Or you don't know. You don't have to live with my husband. Let's face it, no matter who you are, Submitting to one another is tough. But for all of us, submitting to one another is indeed what Paul meant. This was God's design in the first century, and it's still his design for us in 2024. And what's pretty neat is that with these three everyday, ordinary examples of what that looks like and how mutual submission plays itself out, Paul doesn't miss a single person in the room, right? Wives and husbands, kids and parents, and servants and masters, or to put it in 2024's context, employees and bosses. We can all find ourselves in at least one of these positions or roles, so nobody's getting off the hook. All day, every day, we can all be practicing submission to one another out of reverence for Christ so that we might live spirit-filled lives. So most recently, since January 7th to be exact, we've been digging into the relationships between children and parents and slaves and masters. So let's read those verses one last time together. Paul writes, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will, as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant, servant or free. Masters, do the same to them. And stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. Okay, so we're going to try to get these all simplified and in our minds in one cohesive manner. Even though we didn't just read the verses right just then, I'm going to pull wives and husbands in here because it's the first of the three relationships that Paul lays out for us. David preached through those before Advent. So in a nutshell, wives are to submit to and respect their husbands as to the Lord, and husbands are to love and nurture their wives as Christ loves the church. Children, you are to obey your parents in the Lord, and parents... You aren't to provoke your kids, but to train them up in the Lord. And last, if you work for someone, you're to do what they say and you're to do it well and with gusto, as if if you were working right for Jesus, with a good heart, right, and attitude. And if you're a boss, you're to have the exact same heart. You're to lead with a genuine desire to do God's will, which ultimately means you'll want to treat your employees the same way you would if Jesus were working for you. You'll want to glorify God in all you do as a boss. So one of the first things I want us to notice is how central relationships are in a spirit-filled life. Too often I hear people say that they, they want to have and they indeed have a relationship with Jesus. They just don't like or feel the need for the church But the Bible is crystal clear. You cannot have a meaningful, growing relationship with Jesus if you refuse to engage in meaningful, growing relationships with the members of his body, the church. However, Paul even takes it a step further, doesn't he? You see, our wives or husbands, our our kids or our parents, our bosses or our employees— They may not necessarily be Christ followers. And yet, if we are to live spirit-filled lives, we're called to submit to them too, out of reverence for Christ. Now, listen, that never means that we engage in sin in order to submit, never. It never means that we reject Christ if someone bullies us to do so, never. But in every other circumstance, Submission is what we're called to if we profess to love and follow Jesus. Second, submission isn't biblical if it's forced. Now, in humility, we submit willingly, voluntarily. You'll notice that in each of these relationships, Paul addresses those in the subordinate position first. Wives, kids, employees. As Christ followers, God is after our hearts. He wants us to submit because it's our desire to honor and obey him. Outward submission with an unwilling, resentful, or angry heart is not the kind of obedience God is after. Ultimately, submission isn't about the person to whom we're submitting. It's about our desire to humble ourselves before the Lord, that we might honor him and all that we do and say in every relationship but let's look at it from the other perspective. Husbands, parents, bosses, as leaders within the context of your homes and places of work, you're called to treat your wives and kids and employees with a humble Christ-like heart and demeanor. But consider this, one of the most beautiful things about obeying God and these relationships is that when you do that, when you treat your kids and and wives and employees as you would if they were Jesus himself, it actually makes it so much easier, a joy even, for wives, kids, and employees to do what God calls them to do as unto Christ. I mean, think about it. Husbands, do you see how it's so much easier for your wife to submit to you when you're loving and nurturing instead of harsh and demanding? Parents, your kids will be so much more likely to submit to your authority when you don't provoke them to anger, but instead to train them up with respect and love them well. And bosses, you have a tremendous opportunity to help those under your authority to flourish by leading with respect and dignity. And the same goes the other way around. Look, when we obey God's design, it's not just good and right for us. It's a blessing and good for the people around us as well. It's a win-win in every regard. We encourage and help one another, and God is glorified. What is most encouraging, convicting, and and eye-opening to me is that when I look at all those relationships up there, it's that no matter where you or I find ourselves on that list, our willing submission is always and only ever about Jesus. I mean, mean, look at it. As to the Lord, as Christ loves the church, in the Lord, in the Lord, as to Christ, as to Christ. When we find ourselves resisting God's will to submit to one another, it's for one of two reasons. First, I'm focused on me and what I want, what I think I deserve. I do what I want to do and and I have no interest in doing what someone else tells me to do. I don't want to submit to the people around me when I think I'm better than them, when I'm self-absorbed, self-righteous and entitled. When I'm full of myself, I'm never gonna submit to the people around me and there is no room for Jesus to be glorified in my life. But it's also true that when I'm focused on you, I'm not going to want to submit either because y'all are a mess. You're no better than I am, right? Why should I submit to you? I mean, we may not say those things. We may not even think we believe those things. But when we won't follow God's design. For any or all of these relationships, it's because somewhere deep down inside, we don't really believe that we should have to. Belief and behavior are always linked. What God is showing us here in Ephesians is that at the end of the day, submitting to one another is never about me and it's never about you. Do you see that no matter where we are, Up on that slide up there, we are all called to the exact same thing. Uh, Definitely, it's going to look different depending on, on the role or position that we might be in, but ultimately, we're all called to submit to one another, one way or another, out of reverence for Christ. In other words, submission is all about our love for and obedience to Jesus. This is God's Design. We are called to imitate God by walking in love and submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, is how we do that. That's what Paul has been teaching us. I don't know about how many of you may be able to identify with me, but for too many years of my own Christian life, especially when I was younger, Every time following God or, or discerning God's will would come up in conversation or a Bible study or a sermon, um, whether it was my faulty understanding or or was just like kind of like the culture of the church during my formative years or, or some combination of the two, I would get a bit stuck when, when, when again, when we're talking about doing God's will or where God is leading me, I would get stuck because I, I thought I had to figure out which country I was called to go to, to be a missionary, right? Or that, you know, the best Christians were the ones who were like professional Christians, right? They got, they got a paycheck for it. They were the ones who were really going out and doing God's will. And the thing is, is that I know I'm not the only one because I have talked to way too many other people who are professing Christians who think along similar lines. We put these people on pedestals. No. 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 No, no. Could God, might God, call one of us to go to another country? Of course. And if he does, you better go. But that is no more or less significant, no more godly than to live out the gospel in Ashley Ridge while working as a schoolteacher or a banker or a stay-at-home mom. I am convinced that this is one of the reasons the church in America, at least, is so anemic. Church, this is our mission field. Life. These relationships. It's really pretty straightforward and simple. Wherever God plants us, no matter if we're married or single, doesn't matter who our parents are, who our kids are, where we work, what our work is, relationships are the very context in and through which we live out our calling and obey our commission to be and to make fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. We don't have to go to Africa, We don't have to be in full-time vocational ministry. God's design for every single one of us is that in our everyday, ordinary lives, from the moment we get out of bed to the moment we lay back down again, we get opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to carry out the Great Commission through these relationships. God's design is that in our everyday, ordinary lives, we get to choose whether or not we want to be filled with the Holy Spirit by submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And you know what is so cool about this is that when we do this in our everyday, ordinary lives, they actually become quite extraordinary because we're living on mission all day, every day. And there is no greater calling, no better way to spend our lives but by living them for God's glory alone. So for response time, we're going to pray. We're going to pray on our own, but together, if that makes sense. Uh, First, we're going to pray for wives and husbands, then for kids and parents, and then for employees and bosses. I want to encourage you to pray as specifically as you can. Pray for people by name maybe for situations that you know are especially challenging in our own lives or in the lives of the people around us. And finally, we just want to ask God to help us choose each day to praise, to give thanks, and to submit to one another so that we might be filled with His Spirit for God's glory. Church, let's pray.